We're skipping the readings because we're the message today. And we've got a little off track with the high school commissioning to get that all set up here. So we'll have the we'll have scripture readings just in the circle. Your permission? Okay, moving forward here. Oops. All right. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Um, so this past week, I was reading this article online about the real meaning behind Stonehenge. Right? You, you know what Stonehenge is? It's those those rocks that are set up in England, and they're massive rocks. They're about 25 tons each. And no one quite knows how they got them there. And no one quite knows exactly why they're there. there there's lots of theories, right? Maybe it's the summer solstice because it, it lines up with one of the rocks. Maybe that's it. The latest theory was it was a gathering point and like a big marketplace for the whole island. Maybe that's why they did it. It's all really just guessing, right? But they know they're there for something, right? I mean, no one goes to that much work for no reason at all. Unless it's Carhenge, which was a bunch of drunk guys in western Nebraska who modeled Stonehenge with old vehicles and planted them in the ground. True story. But Stonehenge was done for a purpose. It's done for a reason. But no one knows why. And the practice of setting up standing stones is as old as Stonehenge. It was in the Middle East as well. In fact, if you go to a place called Tel Gezer today, you'll see these stones. And Tel Gezer is uh, about halfway between Jerusalem and Tel Aviv in modern-day Israel. And there they have these stones set up. And those stones are just as big as the ones at Stonehenge. 25 tons each. They just don't look as cool because they don't have stones on top of them. And there's not quite as many. But they believe they moved them from a quarry three miles away 3,000 years ago. And no one knows why. No one even really knows for sure how. I mean, how would you do that 3,000 years ago? Move 25 ton rock? How's that even possible? But they did it. And clearly at great sacrifice and great personal cost. But why? No one really knows. At all. But standing stones have continued to go on. Because in Bible times, they set up standing stones. And the cool thing about the ones in the Bible is that we know exactly why they set them up. Because the Bible tells you why they set them up. And so there's lots of examples in Scripture of standing stones. First one is in um, Genesis chapter 28. So in Genesis chapter 28, Jacob sets up these standing stones at a place called Bethel as a reminder of a powerful dream that God gave him and a covenant, a promise that God gave to Jacob. And so Jacob set up these standing stones. We don't know if they look like that. Probably not. They might have just been a nice pile of rocks. It could have been just that simple. But they set up standing stones as a reminder of what God did in that place. And they called them Mesabah, which means to set up. There's another one in um, Exodus 24. So Moses takes 12 stones and puts them at the foot of Mount Sinai as a reminder of what God did at Mount Sinai when he gave the Ten Commandments to the people of Israel. 
book of Joshua talks about when it says this in Joshua chapter 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests were standing, because God had stopped the flow of the Jordan River so the whole nation could cross the Jordan River. And then carry them carry, carry them over with you and put them down the place where you stay tonight. You have to do the slides. So Joshua called the twelve men he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of Israel to serve as, as a sign among you. And in the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it crossed the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones are to be a memorial, standing stones, to the people of Israel forever. So the Israelites did as Joshua commanded them. They took the twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites, as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over them with them to their camp, where they put them down. And Joshua set up the twelve stones that had been in the middle of Jordan, the spot where the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. Standing stones. They're a reminder. And so you could be in Israel traveling along, right? And you're walking along the path, and you see this group of stones, right? And you'd say to someone, someone wise in your group, hey, why are these stones standing here? And the wise person would say, oh, this is when Joshua and the people of Israel crossed the Jordan River at this spot right here. And they were a lasting memorial and reminder of what God had done. And in God's word, standing stones point to the power, the providing, and the grace of God. They were a physical reminder that God keeps his promises. They are a monument to God's grace. They are a reminder of God's providing. And so if you were walking along a path way back then and just thinking philosophically, gosh, does God love me? Does God care? Let's say, oh yeah, he does. Just look, those rocks right over there. It's a pile of rocks. And in the past, God did something great. God did something wonderful. Which brings us to this passage in 1 Peter 2. It says this. As you come to Jesus, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, and you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So put yourself in Peter's shoes. You're walking around Israel, and that place is just chock full of history in every step. And you walk around America, and you see a house that's 100 years old, and you're like, wow, that's a really old house. And in the Middle East, that's just getting broken in. That's not even old at all. And you see a pile of stones as a reminder of what God had done in that place. And there are different spots where you're walking around. And Peter says this. He says, you know what? Be a living stone. 
Be a living stone. Be a walking, talking, loving, living reminder of God's power, of God's grace, of God's faithfulness to his promises. What Peter's saying, he's saying, like, don't be a silent, mute stone. Be a living stone so that you might be a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, so that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Be a living stone. Standing stones are mute and silent. And people have forgotten long ago what they ever meant. Stonehenge, Telgezer, we have no idea what they mean. They mean something, but we're not sure what. The silent stones, they, they're good, but they do a whole lot. But a living stone, well, a living stone, that can make an impact. Because a living stone talks, walks, and tells good stories. And God's inviting you to live your so faith so boldly that people ask you, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? And then you have a story to tell. That's why we commissioned our high school graduates and send them out so that they might be living stones wherever they are and telling and living out the grace and the truth of God and what Jesus Christ has done in their lives. This past week, I uh, had the, the honor of officiating for Nick and, and Lisa's wedding. And they're not here today, so I can tell you the story. Don't tell me I said this. <laughs> but Nick and Lisa wrote out their own wedding vows. And um, as a pastor, I don't like it when people write out their own wedding vows. Because bad things happen. The first wedding I ever did, I had this groom and bride, and they're like, we're going to write our own vows, we're going to memorize them. I'm like, oh, that's, that's so romantic, what a great idea, right? So we're at the rehearsal, and they're like, we're not going to do it right now in front of each other. I'm like, okay, that's cool. So uh, I took the groom aside, I'm like, give me your vows, I need to hear them. He gave them to me perfectly. Or I took the, talked to the bride, I'm like, give me the vows. She gave them to me perfectly, I'm like, great, tomorrow, no problem. We do the wedding. And I say, and now the vows, right? I look at the groom. His face is as white as the bride's dress. And he's got this blank look on his face, like. <laughs> and I'm like, we are in trouble now. I don't know what to do. I look at the bride, and she says, I, Brian. She had memorized his vows, too. So he repeated after her. And then she gave her own vows. So ever since then, I'm like, no writing your own vows. We're like, no, we're going to write our own vows. I'm like, okay, okay, okay. So give them to me, write them down, and I want a physical copy in my hand for the wedding, right? So Nick and Lisa, they do this. And I, I, I'm still not a big fan of writing your own vows because they're, they're so mushy. You know, they're like, I love you forever. You're my best friend. Right? And I know, I used to be romantic, and then I had kids. 
<laughs> when you got two sick kids at 2 a.m., like romance just flees, right? And you're like, man, this just got real. At times like that, you don't need romance, you need commitment, right? So like, like, like vows are like commitment vows, like I will be there, I made a promise, you know, like Lord of the Rings, and, and Sam says to Frodo, I made a promise, a promise, Frodo, like that's a commitment, right? So Nick and Lisa, they write their own vows, and then, you know what, they're mushy, you know, I love you, you're my best friend, right? But then, they both talk about God's presence in their marriage. And it became more than just a wedding. It became a living stone moment. A time when they stood there and told their story of what God had done in their life. It was awesome. You have a story to tell. You have a story to tell of God's power his grace. So I want to ask you this question. Where has God showered his grace and his forgiveness in your life? What did that look like? When has God's power in providing simply overwhelmed you? Where is the cross of Jesus and his, his unconditional love and mercy spoken into your life? That's a story to tell. And you have a story. You're more than just a standing stone. Standing there of something that God did somewhere in the past, but no one's quite sure why or what. God invites you to be a living stone. A telling of his mercy and of his power. And so as you leave today... I'm going to give you two rocks, two stones as you leave today. And the first one I want you to keep and put it someplace you'll see it. Uh, maybe uh, on your bedstand, or maybe uh, on your bathroom counter, like in the corner, or maybe that drawer where you keep your keys, or something like that, or where you charge your phone. Someplace like that where you just kind of see it. And like for it to be a reminder of, that, of what God has done in your life. And to share that with a couple people around you. So that's the first one. The second one's harder. Because the second one I want you to give away. And when you give it to someone, I want, them to, I want you to tell that person of some way that God has impacted your life. A way that you, you've received Jesus' grace. Uh, the reason you have hope for the future because the tomb is empty and Jesus Christ is risen. A story of God's love and providing for you. So the second stone is harder. I'm going to give you two. One to keep and one to share. Because you have a story to share of God's power in your life. And if you're not quite sure how to start, you could say something like this, like a Dude, I got stoned in church last Sunday. No, no, no. Let me explain. That was too easy. I'm sorry. Let's pray.
Lord Jesus, thank you. Um, thank you for those reminders and those moments where you've entered into our life, Lord God. And your grace has covered over our sin and we've been overwhelmed by your forgiveness. Thank you for those moments in our life, Lord God, where you've provided in ways beyond even our, our belief, our expectations. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for those times where you've given strength and it was hard times, Lord God, and it was horrible, but Lord, you were there and you saw us through. Lord, help us to be living stones. Walking, talking, loving, and living and sharing or what you've done in our lives. And Lord, when we are weak, may your grace shine through us. When we are strong, maybe because of your power you're providing. And Lord Jesus, in all things, may others see us, see you in us. Because you're God, you're Savior. Amen. Yeah.